All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Timothy 2. Let's pray before we begin here. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word tonight. We've chosen to be here to draw near to you. We know that you will draw near to us, and many of us just need some rest. Other of us need encouragement. Um, but you know what each one of us needs individually, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you'd meet those needs and help us, Lord, to be a blessing to you, to receive your word with gladness, as we know that's pleasing to you, for us to just believe you by faith. Um, so, Lord, help us to have ears to hear, open our ears to understand, Lord, and um, change us, Lord, from the inside out. We thank you for this opportunity to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. As Paul writes his final letter to Timothy here, um, before his judgment, he knows that he has a death sentence over him, and we'll discover that later on in the, in the book. Uh, but he's giving his heart out. Um, he's laying it out for Timothy. He's not sure he's going to see anybody ever again, and so he wants to make sure that, well, he trusts God. He's already stated that. I've entrusted everything that I've given over to God. I trust him with it. Um, and yet he writes this letter to make sure that, you know, keep it up, Timothy, it's a, it's a coaching thing. It's a cheerleading thing. If Timothy doesn't make it, God's, God's word's going to go out. It isn't dependent upon whether Timothy gets this letter or not. But for, for Timothy's sake, Paul really wants him to understand this stuff. It's, it's essential. Um, it's essential for all of us to get this stuff. There will always be a remnant of believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who believe God's word and are living God's word out. Whether that's me or not depends up to me. Whether I'm a part of that group, it's my decision, and it's your decision as well. And so as Timothy, or Paul writes this letter to Timothy, he's hoping he's hearing it and gets it in his heart, not just in his head, not just academically, but he catches the vision. Paul's already stated that he has no one else to send anybody but Timothy, who's of like heart and like mind. And that's Paul, who's been training up many, many men for ministry. And yet at the end of it all, most of those guys are gone because they've decided, that, well, I've heard better from other guys. And they've picked off and been picked off by Satan. So he's going to mention two more in this chapter. Timothy so far is the only one left that he can send who has the like heart and like mind. He's the only one that's caught the vision. And Paul wants to make sure that he keeps that, catches his heart more so, you know. And so that's why we have such a heartfelt feel to this letter. He begins in verse 1, with you therefore, my son, he says that over and over again, my beloved son, my son, son in the faith, he's not a physical son, but he is a son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's really um, the model of Calvary Chapel, that's how we grow. Um, one pastor started with Pastor Chuck, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, Costa Mesa, California, started his fellowship or got hired on as his fellow at this fellowship. Calvary Chapel was already in existence beforehand. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but it was, and he was hired on, and uh, just started teaching through the Bible and teaching up young men. And these young men would start home Bible studies on their own in different cities, and these home Bible studies turned into churches, and then they would grow, and then they would train up young men to follow after the Lord and to know the ways of the Lord and the word of God. And then they would go out, and I'm fourth generation, Calvary Chapel, fourth. Um, that's how it spreads. That's how it, it rolls from there. And this is the model that we have in Timothy. We don't have anything where he says, now make sure that you graduate from seminary. School of the Prophets, it would have been called back then. School of the Prophets had a, had a faith problem. If you've ever read through the Old Testament and you see these prophets that were ordained by God, not by man, and they would show up and these school of the prophets would be out there doing whatever, either putting the wrong kind of food into the pot, making it poisonous, or they'd be throwing axe heads in the water. And these are different stories you can look up on your own, but it was the prophets that had to come, the real ones that had to come and save the day and raise the axe head up and make it float. And all the school of the prophets guys were like, whoa, well, guys, we serve a big God. You know, they had it up here. The school of the prophets had it up here, but they didn't have it in their, in their heart. 
We see the same thing with that pot of stew. Oh, no, there's death in the pot, death in the pot, they said. And he says, well, no, we'll just sprinkle this in there and we'll pray and it'll be good. And we ate and it was fine. Oh, how did you make that unpoisonous? It's the Lord. It's not me, it's the Lord. And then, of course, the final test is when we see the disciples and the they come in contact with the religious rulers of the day and they kept telling them, you got to stop talking about Jesus, got to stop sharing Jesus. And they said, you know, whether it's right, for, you think for us to follow man or to follow God, but we're going to follow God. That's you know, the gist of it. And they were amazed at these guys. They marveled at him because they knew they were uneducated and unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. They had it in their heart. And so it doesn't matter whether you have a degree or not. You can have one. It makes no difference. The difference is, are you faithful to God? Have you been called by God? And so he tells Timothy, I want you to pick guys that are already faithful. Pick guys that are faithful in the ministry and then commit these things I've taught you, teach them. Because you can only teach the things of God to men that are faithful because if they're not faithful in everything else in their life, they're not going to be faithful with the word of God. If they falter and they fail in other areas of their life, they're not going to be faithful. They're going to falter and fail in God's word also. So if you're going to find guys that are going to teach God's word, Timothy, make sure you find faithful men. Look for those guys. They're faithful. Faithful means they're there all the time. They're always there. They're intuitive. They can see things. They understand things. They see problems ahead of time. They don't have to be told. You know, they're, they're faithful guys, and they're always ready and willing, and they're humble. You know? Look for these guys, faithful men. And here's what I want you to be, Timothy. The very thing he says right off the bat, I want you to be strong in grace. Strong in the grace. That was their problem back then, and it still is today for everybody. The problem is we move away from grace, and they had a problem with legalism. Because that's what they were coming out of. There's an Old Testament relationship with God where you had to bring a lamb. If you guys were going to come to church tonight and you wanted to hear from God, you all had to bring a lamb. That's how it worked. And then we had to sacrifice it to make sure all your sins were forgiven. And then once that lamb was slaughtered and we got all that done, then we can start worshiping. Because you can't worship till you're right. Okay? Bring your sacrifice to the altar. If you think you have something wrong with another brother, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go, author, altar, go make it right with that person and come back and then we can start. That's how it works. We take it for granted that we show up because we have the Lamb of God, Jesus, who's taking care of all of our sins and we can show up and worship just like that. That's grace. Just unmerited favor. And they were battling that lamb mentality back then. Still stuck in that old system that is passing away. All of it. Um, there's a, a friend, acquaintance on Facebook that posted today about shall, shall have no cuttings of the flesh, no markings of ink. And it was Leviticus 19.27. Uh, and I know what, when people post stuff like that, there's a reason. It's not like they were inspired by God to tell everybody to stop getting tattoos. They just had that feeling they needed to tell everybody to stop getting tattoos themselves. I can't let those things go. That bothered me. So I commented, and I didn't do anything bad. I just quoted more scripture, the verse before it. It said, thou shalt not make any cuttings on the head or shave the corners of your beard. If we're going to do 27, we've got to do 26. You don't get to pick and choose. So all of your friends at your church that are very strong on 27, all those clean-shaven young men better start growing beards. Or you're in violation just as much so as those getting the ink. We struggle with that legalism. It's easy for us to go back there. And you know which ones we pick. We pick the ones that we're good at. I don't have any tattoos, so I think I'm going to do 1927 today. But I don't pick 26, because that makes me itchy. I can't stand that. It's scruffy. You know, my wife hates it. So I don't pick 26. I pick 27. That's legalism to a T. We pick the things that we've got conquered and that other people don't. It exalts us, it lifts us up, and it pushes them down. And it makes us feel better about ourselves. They were battling that. They were battling that. And so he tells Timothy, I want you to be strong in grace. Because you do. You've got to hold on to grace with a grip. Because honestly, your entire life in the ministry is people take their time to try to rip it out of your hands. They really do. That grace, that unmerited favor with God, that Christ died for the sins of the world because he loved them, not because they earned it. 
And we're going to heaven now because of his love and because of his decision to die for us, because he loved us. Regardless of our feelings towards him, he loved the world and died for the whole world, even though half love him and half don't, and probably different ratio than that, but, but he did it for everybody. And he says, Timothy, I want you to be strong in grace because, and I'm filling in the gaps here, so many haven't been strong in the grace. You don't tell someone to be strong in grace if it's easy or if everybody's doing it. You warn them ahead of time because it's being ripped off from them. Grace is being ripped off. Be strong in grace. Be strong in unmerited favor. In other words, know how much grace you've been given and meditate on that and chew on that and swallow that and get that in your heart and it will be easy for you to give grace to other people. Be strong in grace that is in Christ Jesus. And commit these things to faithful men. You, therefore, must endure... Now, he's going to go through three different analogies and it's going to fit every one of us. One of them is going to hit you, okay? You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. How many of you have served or have, or are serving right now in the military? Anybody? Okay, so that, you guys get it, right? You get it. So you've got to endure hardship. And you know what kind of hardship you had to endure, some of you. Air Force, not so much. Just kidding. Just kidding. There's all sorts of hardship. There's, there's being separated from people. Being, I always pick on, I pick. It's easy targets, I'm sorry. And you had to endure putting up with jarheads, you know, Marines all the time too. So that, was, that was one of your hardships. He's dumb as a box of rocks. That's why we don't go to battle. We, we help you down there. Just go fight, okay? And we'll be up here and help you. I get it, I know. You endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So that means, whether you like it or not, every one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ is a soldier in God's army. And you've got to fight. And there's different roles, obviously. There's different rules of engagement. There's different, for, for whatever role you take on. But we have to endure hardship, whether that's separation from family or not getting to do what you want. There are, there are rights that get stripped from every soldier when they go into the military. Rights are taken away. You don't get to go home whenever you want to. You don't get to have sick days if it's not expedient for the military. You're just going to throw up while you march. That's how it is. Sorry about it. You know, you got an ankle. I remember that when I first, I first run, not first run, El, first run at El Toro, we were on a run and I rolled my ankle, you know, I mean bad, rolled my ankle. It was like a, a grapefruit. Then you go, the, you know, when you finish the run, it's what you do. And then you get off and, then, and you show it to them like, Ugh, you better go see somebody about that. That's as much heart as you get out of it. And so you go, your mom's not there. So, so you go in and you show them, they're like, oh, and they give you a prescription, these horse pill ibuprofens, horse pill ibuprofens, 800 milligrams per tablet, take two every four hours and go for it. And I'm like, 1600 milligrams of ibuprofen. And it was, they worked. I was fine. The swelling went down eventually, but you keep moving. You keep going. Endure hardships. Being in God's army as a, as, as a, as a, as a soldier enlisted, you've enlisted, you've chosen that when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you chose to be in this army. You decided that. Then you have to endure hardship. You don't have the rights you used to have. You don't have the right to do this or the right to do that anymore. If it causes someone to be offended, you don't have that right anymore. It's not your right. You get those things and you endure hardship. It's going to be hard. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to appreciate you as a good soldier. No one engages in warfare, engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You don't get entangled so much. I, you know, generally I'd love to charge that hill. I know it's important, but I'm sorry. I got things to do over here. You know, no. We don't want to be so entangled with this world that we can't fight, you know, a loose grip. I understand we set roots and, and, and we have... We occupy till he comes. I, I'm not saying that we all need to live in a, you know, we don't have to all pull a Watson, Kim Watson, <laughs> live in a trailer and travel around. Where is he now? Does anybody know where he is? We need a, a he's on his way to Colorado. I, I was asked that today. They said, does anybody know where Kim is? I said, I don't know where he's at. But that's his season in life right now. He and Kimberly's season in life right now. But we're not all called to that, to just 
you know, pull in here with our travel trailers and then we pull out not knowing what the next, no, we get jobs and we have houses and we go to work every day and we do our things. But to have a very good understanding in our minds about those things that if God should call us to move or go someplace else, that we're, it's not a problem. We don't argue with them. It's a, oh, well, yeah, okay, of course. This is not more important than him, you know. And so it's, he's trying to get that across to him. Make sure, Timothy, that you don't get caught up in the things of this world to where you're no longer useful for the one who enlisted you in the military. You've got to be ready to go at a moment's notice. I didn't like that part. We were on, you were on a month and off two months. Um, and I don't even remember what it was called it so long ago. But we had everything packed in our bags. You know, nothing was up on hangers anymore. Everything was in the, what's that called? Does anybody remember what that is? We're on call is what it was. Um, they called it something, I can't remember. Anyway, you had everything in your duffel bag, you were ready to go. So, I mean, if they called you within 15 minutes, you were ready to get on a truck and go down to Katina Air Base and get flown to wherever you were going to go. This is when we as in Okinawa. And that was no fun because you were locked in. I mean, you were there. You were in the barracks. There was no going outside the gates. You were there all the time because you just never knew. And once in a while, they'd do a, a test. We didn't know there were tests. Okay, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going. We get everything up, we get in the truck, we drive all the way down to Katina. It's like a two-hour drive to the end of Okinawa down there. And they get us on a plane, fly us around, we land and say, okay, everybody back. It was just a test. Probably put on by the Air Force, is who it was. Those guys just thought it was funny to get us up in the middle of the night. <laughs> but you had to be ready. You had to be ready to go. Oh, I remember when we were at El Toro. This is this is reminiscent night, sorry. Um, reminiscing, um, but at El Toro, when we got the call to go to Desert Storm or Desert Shield at the time, it was in August, um, and we were all sitting there, we're like, is this a joke? Is this real? You never knew, you know, what it was. And then they started handing us our rifles, and we're like, okay, good. Then they started handing us rounds, and you don't give us bullets. <laughs> you just don't. We shoot ourselves in the head or something. You don't do that. We, so they gave us bullets, and we're like, oh, man, we're going, you know, and so you make your last call to your parents and say, hey, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. See ya. Because, you know, but you got to be ready, you know. Um, we don't think of our Christian walk maybe that way or that serious, but we probably ought to. We ought, probably ought to be ready when it's time at, and it doesn't have to be El Toro or it doesn't have to be Saudi Arabia, but it can be Casey's. It could be Walmart. I had a brother that hasn't come to church in a long time. And, you know, I don't chase people down. I'm not here to give them red check marks if they don't show up or, you know. And he says, yeah, you've probably noticed I haven't been to church. I said, well, yeah. Yeah, but I figured, you know, everybody's got their reasons and everything. How are you doing? You know, just want to make sure. That no hard feelings on my part if you want to come back or whatever. We explained to me what was going on and, and told me all the details. And we were right by that red box there at Walmart. I said, well, let's pray right now. Yeah, yeah, we just prayed right there. I mean, it wasn't one of those quick prayers either. It was like 10 minutes. We were just praying back and forth. Just, you know, are you ready? Nothing else mattered at that point. Whether you were in a hurry or whether there was a schedule or not, nothing mattered at that point. Everything else is going to get put off because this was what God put before me, my general. And this is what I do, you know. And I'm not saying I do it right all the time, but that was one of those, I'm not going to tell you the bad stories. I'm going to tell you the good ones, right? Don't get entangled so much that you can't minister. Now he moves on to a different subject. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, so any sports guys out there, or an athlete, how many of you are athletes or were athletes? All right, you'll get this. Toby, put your hand down. He's an, you're an unbelievable, well, you're an unbelievable shortstop. You're very good at it. You really are. At first I thought, hey, who can't do a shortstop? That's easy. But he's got these arms that are like, he can reach second to third. It's like, man. I'm like, who? Yeah, so anyway. But as an athlete, you understand these things. He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Interesting twist. I thought he was going to say something like, and they train hard, and they're really, you know, they're really into it, and they really focus. What does he switch to? He says, those who, those who get the crown are those who played by the rules. If I mention a name to you, you're automatically going to, I want to know what the first thing comes in your mind. Lance Armstrong. It's the first thing that comes into your mind with Lance Armstrong. Do you know who he is? Tour de France, 
Cheater. Cheater. How many Tour de France did he win, though? Seven, but doesn't matter. He was doping. So now he's just a cheater. What a terrible legacy, you know? I mean, he was, we had wristbands. We had the Sporting KC uh, soccer field was named after him, you know? Uh, I mean, the whole thing is, it was, he was huge. I mean, he was a force to be reckoned with. He'd like made Oprah look small compared to all the things he was doing with what he had done with his career until that came out. He's warning Timothy about that. Now, he, Paul's talking about athletics. They didn't have intramurals and they didn't have, you know, uh, you know, farm league and major league. And, you know, they didn't have any of that stuff. It was just the Olympics. And so he's talking about serious things. If anyone competes in athletics, an Olympian, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Timothy, play by the rules. God's got rules. We don't get to do it our own way. We do it God's way. Pay attention to that. Don't be entangled with the things in this world like a good soldier. Be ready to endure hardship, but also play by the rules. Play by the rules. The third one, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. In other words, I want you to meditate on these three things, Timothy, over and over again. The farmer is the one who's got to work hard. But you don't get anything out of that field unless you plant, unless you work hard and put something there. You only get out of that field what you put into it. And that's in any kind of agricultural situation, any kind of producer. No one's going to sit down in spring and say, well, I just hope last year's seed, some of it fell. You know, I hope it grows. No, no, no. You've got to go out there deliberately and do some work. You've got to till up the ground. You've got to get the soil prepared to receive the seed. Then you've got to get the seed in the ground. And you've got to get it to the ground at the right time. There's a timing issue there. Then you've got to let it grow. You've got to leave it alone. Quit digging it up all the time. You've just got to let it grow and trust that it's going to work. And then when it comes up, you've got to watch it. You've got to water it. You've got to tend it, so to speak. I mean, for the most part, you don't, we don't irrigate around here too much. But some do. You see the irrigation. You've got to make sure. Then you've got to harvest at the right time. You can't do it too soon. You've got to do it too late. Hardworking farmers, they partake first of the crops. They get together, but that's only what they put into it. So Timothy, put your heart into the ministry because you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. Consider what I say. Meditate on it. That's what it means. Consider. Think about it. Meditate on it. Swallow it. Chew on it. Bring it back to your remembrance. Don't forget these things. Consider what I say. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. In other words, there's so deep that God's going to have to open this up to your heart. Verse 8, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David, see what he did there? Starts off with farmers and he switches to seed. Seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember Christ Jesus. Think on him. That's really all you have to do. Ministry isn't complicated. It just has to be guarded. Ministry is simple. You serve people Jesus Christ and you serve Jesus Christ. In other words, you tell them about the Lord and you serve the Lord at the same time. And that's what you do. You're led by the Spirit. You work hard. You don't get entangled with this world. You keep it very simple in your life to the point where you can be used by God at any moment. You study to show yourself approved, which we're going to read here in a minute. But for the most part, it's pretty easy. I read my Bible. I study it. I give it out. I hope it works. It does. Be faithful to be here every Wednesday, every Sunday, or whenever it is that God calls you to do what you do. Make sure you're there to do your job. Make sure that you're there to do your ministry. Remember Jesus Christ. Boy, when you think about, you know, when Aaron prays or when JC prays, or when someone prays up here beforehand, we kind of say the same thing over and over again, don't we? Oh God, it's just wonderful to praise you today. And I hope we mean that. And not just say, well, what do I say beforehand? Well, I hope we praise you. Thank you for praising us. And may you speak to us through your word. Amen. No, I really do. It is right for us to be here and to praise him for all that he's done for us. Because I remember what Christ did. And, and I don't know if that happens to you or not. I hope it doesn't. But you, I would imagine we forget what we're saying and we say it because it, it's rote. You know, it's the next thing. It's 
Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's how we end everything. But do you know what that means? In, in the name of Jesus, in the nature of Christ, all these things have been prayed with the same heart and the same passion that Christ had when all these things we give over in the name of Jesus, in the nature of Jesus, amen, we all agree. There is no one here that doesn't agree. That's what amen, all men, all of us agree in this one thing in the nature of Christ that you would answer these prayers, you know? That's what he says that. Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David who was a warrior of warriors. Jesus was born from that seed, from Mary, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Don't forget the resurrection of the dead. Don't forget the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the focus of the gospel. That's the good news. Because if Christ didn't rise, then we don't rise. If Christ isn't in heaven, then we're not going to heaven. If Christ didn't rise, then he's no better than every other guru out there who had a really good idea or sweet philosophy that we could study. I saw that on Facebook today too. Boy, people need to be corrected. And I'm the guy to do it, I tell you. Oh, they tried to pull one of those. Do you remember that? Um, well, it was a 60s song, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And by the time you're done with it, they start singing Hare Krishna. I remember that song, what it's called. And the writer of that song said, what I was trying to do was get the kids of the Jesus movement to figure out that it doesn't matter who you're worshiping in the end. See how easy it was to fall into that, just to go right into Hare Krishna as opposed to Jesus? He was trying to teach them that it was okay, and Jesus was just another guru. Wrong. He who has the Son has the Father. He who has the Son has the Father. He who has the, who has the Son has the Father. He who does not have the Son does not have the Father. He who has the Son has salvation. He who does not have the Son does not have salvation. It's very important that we make that distinction. Jesus is salvation. He's different from all others because he rose from the dead. He's not Buddha, who's still in the grave. He's not Hare Krishna, who's still in the grave and dead. He's not. He's not Gandhi. Gandhi is still dead and in the grave. He's none of those people. He's God come in the flesh who rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, the only one accepted by God, the only one who's perfect. And so when they went through this list of um, karma is the same as this, is the same as that, and went through all the religions and then finally said, it's the same as what you sow is what you reap. Trying to get you to think that, oh, it is kind of all the same. Karma is the same as the Bible. So, so Hinduism is the same as the Bible. Buddhism is the same as the Bible. It's really no different. It's all just different ways of saying the same thing. We're all feeling the same elephant, but we're just feeling the leg or the tail or the trunk. But all in all, it's an elephant is what they're trying to get. Type, 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 type. <laughs> no, it's not the same. The heart of karma is not the heart of what you sow, what you reap. And here's the scripture, you know. It's different. He is, Paul is, desperately teaching Timothy to watch out for this garbage that's going to come from people's mouths. They think they're enlightened. They think they know more. And they don't. And you better, Timothy, be ready as a soldier, as an as a, as a, as a, as a athlete, as a hardworking farmer, to be ready to put these things to rest and to preach the truth. You really don't have to put them to rest. You just preach the truth. And that's all I had to do was post a scripture on that. Here's what the Bible says about what you just said. Wrong. Wrong. Remember that. The raised from the dead, being raised from the Jesus is raised from the dead. He's so much different. So different. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. In other words, I believe it so much that I'm really, I'm ready to be, well, I'm ready to be tortured and die for it. Five million Christians in the first 200 years of the church were tortured for their salvation, or tortured for their belief in Christ and died. Five million. There's a tremendous persecution. We, I mean, and we have more and more, and it's growing more and more, but per capita, I mean, I don't know how many people were back then. We've got, what, 8 billion now, maybe 9 billion people on the earth, and we're losing, what, 100 to 200,000 a year, maybe, Christians all over the world. I don't know if that's an accurate figure or not. Still, I mean, it's, it's a tremendous amount of people were, that are dying for the faith. But these folks, for the good news of Jesus being raised from the dead, for a good work, you understand that? 
It's not that they wanted to be right. It's not that they were Democrats or Republicans or Libertarians or whatever they are. They, he, he wasn't trying to, to advance his agenda, and I'm going to die for my agenda. No, it's I believe that the good news is worth dying for. People need the good news. If I, if I give up the good news, if I deny the faith, if I deny that Jesus rose from the dead just so that I can save my life, that means my voice has been silenced. That means that many people won't hear the good news and they'll go to hell because they didn't hear it from me. They understood the importance of their mouth and their boldness in Christ. I can't be silenced. I shouldn't be silenced. And we don't ever, we don't yet, we don't have to suffer or be, you know, tortured for our salvation or for our belief in Christ as others do around the world. We're not to that point yet. It's prob probably coming. It's just crazy stuff going on right now. It's not pointed yet at, directly at Christians, but it's getting there. We're getting there. But for now, we don't feel that. But you're, your reputation can be assassinated. Um, you can lose all your friends. You can lose all your family because you're too hardcore, because you're too much of a soldier, because you're too much of an athlete, because you're too dedicated as a farmer. You know? You can lose people for that. But Paul said it's worth it. I suffer as an evildoer. They think I'm wrong because I'm talking about love, grace, and mercy. <laughs> even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Won't be stopped. They can chain me, but look, writing letters, got you out there, Timothy. It spreads no matter what. You can't stop this. They can't stop this. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Somebody out there needs to be saved. Somebody out there still needs to hear the gospel from me, so I'll endure. That they also may obtain the salvation which is, Christ, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. It's essential. But we understand that. He's talking about heaven. Paul has a sentence of death over him right now, and that's what he's thinking about. Die, 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 die. It's hard not to think about dying right now as you're in prison for the last time in front of Nero, who's nuts. Anyway, well, not yet. He's going to be nuts. As soon as he rejects Paul's gospel, finally, that's when he starts lighting Christians on fire. He gets completely, goes completely insane. And Paul says, no, no, no. See, because if I die with him in faith, believing in Christ, and they crucify me or kill me or whatever they want to do to me, saw me in half, whatever they're going to do, hang me, then I'm going to be with him forever. I live. Paul saw not the bright side, not the silver lining, but the goal. He kept his mind on heaven, hope. My hope is that the resurrection is true. I believe on that. And that means if they kill me, I'm going to be instantly with God. I'm going to be with, the, I'm going to be with Jesus. So if we die with him, we shall also live with him. On the other hand, if you die without him, you're going to live without him. That's a fact. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So you put up with a little belittling now, character assassinations, even torture. You're made to be the off-scouring of the earth. And nobody thinks anything of you. You're not, a, you're not a prominent person anymore. You've lost your mojo in the community, you know. So what? I'm going to reign with Christ. That means rule. That means have authority. That means like white horses and scepter kind of stuff, you know. He is pointing people to heaven. No matter what happens here, whether you die, whether you have to endure, it's so much better having that and being with him afterwards than getting what you can down here, life, for the next 40 years or how much longer you're going to live. You get 40 more years of life with mediocre affection, and you don't endure, you have to give up, oh, it's so much easier to sit on the couch and not have to be up and on my guard all the time. Well, then you don't get to reign with him, you don't get to live with him, but you got 40 years of ease. He says this, if we deny him, he will also deny us, and that's a fact. If we are faithful, he remains faithful and cannot deny himself. And so the, I put those two together because denying means being faithful to him. He equates those things. Whether you're, faith, whether you're faithless or not doesn't change him. He's going to be faithful. He can't deny himself. He is who he is. Um, what he's saying there, but, so no one misunderstands, if you deny him, I reject Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I renounce him as my Lord and Savior. I don't believe in Christ anymore. Wish granted, then you don't live with him forever. But if you endure, 
And if you die for his namesake and walk with him and are faithful, then you'll have all those other things. You'll live with him after you die. You'll reign with him after you die. And you'll be with him, obviously, after you die. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Just because people say the Bible is not true, your Christianity is fake or false or hypocritical, doesn't mean that it is. Sometimes we feel the need to, to defend ourselves or to defend him. I don't defend Jesus Christ. He is. I proclaim him. That's what being a witness is. A witness doesn't have to convince the jury that they're telling the truth. All the witness has to do, that's the lawyer's job. The witness has to stand up and says, I, and the lawyer tells the witness, I just want you to tell me what you saw. Don't make anything up. Don't leave anything out. Just tell me what you saw. That's what I'm to do. Jesus Christ came into my life and changed me. I pray. He answers my prayers. I'm filled with the Spirit. My life is full of joy. I still have hardships, but I can get through those hardships now because I'm with Christ. I just witness. I just tell them how I feel and what God's done for me. That's being faithful. I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to say that, well, it's this great book that I read or, well, the Bible, but, or other book that I read, you know, that changed my life or this one guy, you know, Tony, he was amazing. He really got me thinking about prosperity, you know, whatever. No. No, it's Jesus. He says in verse 14, remind them of these things. Charge them before the Lord not to strive about words. No, who's he talking about? These faithful men that you're entrusting the word of God to. When you teach them, Timothy, to be in the ministry, teach them this. Remind them of these things. Charge them before the Lord. Command them. That's what charge means. It's a rule. It's an order. Not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Tell them these things. Command them to these things. Study the Bible. Don't worry about this the nuances that's to the ruin of the hearer. Some people like to, I'm all, for, I'm all for apologetics, that's fine, but when you turn apologetics into a sport, you're an error. When you turn it into a fun, you know, debate class or debate team thing, you, you're an error. Apologetics is a, is a funny word. We don't, we're not apologizing for the faith but, faith, but we're explaining the faith. We know, it, we know the Bible so well that we're explaining it to people. That's what apologetics is, basically. You, it's, for the, it's for the unbelievers to become believers. It's not so that I can beat somebody, you know, and then carry a flag. We've got to be careful about that. And sometimes we can win those debates in the flesh using the word of God wrongly, rightly, not rightly dividing it, wrongly, using the word of God unlawfully, like 1 Timothy 1.8 says, you can use the word of God unlawfully, use the law unlawfully. We can do that and win, but we've destroyed those who are listening. They don't want to be a part of either of it. I, I'm just going to live my life. I don't, want to, I don't want to be like that guy for sure. I know he's a Christian, but man, he was angry. I mean, he's froth coming out of his mouth. He was, he was, his face was turning bright red. That's, that's not the point of having, knowing apologetics and under, you know, explaining your faith. You've, you've lost your audience or the, the target, you know? You've got, you've got your eye on, on yourself and not the target. And so guard them, warn them about this. Paul's trying to make it very simple for, simple for Timothy. I want you to just teach people about Jesus, remember him, and be a good teacher. You're faithful like a soldier. You're, you're dedicated like a farmer. You're ready for it, and you're play by the rules like an athlete. You're going to remember Jesus Christ. You're going to talk about being raised from the dead. And, and, the, and the focus is grace, strong in grace. Don't get into that striving about words to no profit. There's no gain from it. To the ruin of the hearers, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, know it so well that you use it correctly. That you use the word of God properly. You know? What does John 3.16 mean? Why is it important to tell them that? Why do we have to put it on our poster boards and put it in the end zone of the NFL football games? Why? What's the importance of it? What is God's intent by writing that? He wants the world to know that he loved them and that he showed his love and demonstrated his love for them by giving up his own son to die for them instead of them. I mean, there's a, it's very deliberate. It's very peaceful and it's full of love and grace and it should touch hearts. 
rightly dividing the word of truth, which means we can wrongly divide it. Um, we have to be careful about that, that we don't wrongly divide it. And I would say that Leviticus 19.27 is wrongly dividing it. If that's a strong point for you, then make sure that you're doing 26. I'm not trying to you know, beat a dead horse here, but you can wrongly divide the word of God and use it inappropriately. And it doesn't draw people to Jesus. You just made them feel guilty about something that they've done. But you're not going to make other people feel guilty about shaving their face. You know, it's wrongly dividing it. The Holy Spirit doesn't use the word that way. You use it. We use the word that way, but God doesn't use the word that way. He doesn't use his word that way. The sword of the Spirit, the word of God is used to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. And I believe personally that 19, uh, or yeah, chapter 19, verse 26 that I posted was meant as that to help the sister to know, or brother, whoever it was, I don't remember who it was, be careful what you're doing with God's word here, you know? Be careful with it. It wasn't in anger or anything. I simply posted the scripture. And hopefully it gets them to think. And God's word does that. It gets you to think, well, yeah, I guess if 27 is true, 26 is true. There's a lot of people that don't have beards. So maybe my thinking is wrong about this. Maybe that's not what he means by 27. Maybe 27 is simply meant to be about the occult, the worship of other deities back then before Christ and how they would, before God, and how they would cut themselves to make themselves more appealing to their gods. And they would cut themselves for the dead because they thought that that would give the dead a favor with the God when they die. And we're not supposed to be like that as Christians because we have grace. And, you know, there's more to 27. It's not about ink, you know. It's not about that. It's about not bringing in the practices of other religions into Christianity. It's into the worship of God at the time in Leviticus. You can't blend those two things. God doesn't want blend. He wants to be different. Verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like a canker or cancer, depending on which version you're reading. Hymenus, Hymenius, excuse me, and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So what he's talking about here, the profane and idle babblings, are that the, oh, the second coming's already happened. Jesus has already been here and gone. It overthrows the faith of some, and he names these two guys by name. It's okay to name it. He doesn't say, well, and I had two guys, and I don't want to name their names because I don't want to offend them or you know, cause any problems. No, he says, and Hymenius and Philetus, those two guys, they're thwarting the faith. These guys are spreading false rumors and false, they're, not, they're false teachers. Not afraid to say it. The Jehovah's Witness teach that the second coming has already taken place. That we live in the millennial reign of Christ right now. Well, they believe that Jesus is in a secret chamber in Brooklyn. No lie. I know. A secret chamber. And guess who? The only people that can see him are the elders of their church. And you can't understand the scriptures by yourself. You have to hear it from the elders. They'll explain it to you. And they'll tell you what it means. So we're in the millennial reign of Christ where Satan is not ruling. He's chained. <clears throat> no, you know. They're not brothers and sisters in the Lord. They believe that Jesus is the same as Michael the archangel, and they're one and the same person. That Jesus is a created being, that he's not God come in the flesh. They didn't die on a, on a, on a cross. This is their big point. And he's, he's, he died on a pole. So he wasn't like this, he was like this. Exactly. Okay, who cares? How do you know it wasn't an X? You know, I mean, they had X's too, crucified XY's. They crucified him like this on a pole. They crucified him this way too. All three were used. What difference does it make? We need to change all of our jewelry, for one thing. Anyway, be careful of that. In other words, 
not everybody that calls himself a brother or sister is a brother or sister. And, and you don't have to believe me. You bounce it off God's word. God's word tells us how Jesus died. God's word tells us who he is. He tells us when the second coming's going to happen. He tells us what to look for. He talks about the rapture. He talks about all these things in God's word. So it's not a, a Calvary thing. It's a non-denominational thing. It is just God's word protects us. And that's why he says, Timothy, be careful, be ready. Tell these guys to not engage in this kind of ruin of the hearer talk, profane babblings or idol, or teaching people that the second coming's already had, that the resurrection's already happened and we missed it. They overthrow the faith of some. That means that some people's faith got overthrown. I know that's what it says, but I think we have to let that sink in. These guys' words ruined people's faith in Jesus Christ, which means they're not going to heaven anymore, which means they've rejected Christ. They've missed it. They've, they're looking for hope elsewhere. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, whether you believe it or not, Having this seal, and here's the seal, the Lord knows those who are his, Paul rests in that. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Those are the two things that are the seal. It isn't what I thought he was going to say. The Lord knows who's, who are his, he, he is omnipotent, he knows who's going to receive him as his Lord and Savior, we got that. But the other seal is everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. It means we flee sin. I know that God loves us right where we are and receives us right where we are, but he doesn't leave us right where we are. He wants to take us to a better place, to righteousness, to being conformed into his image. And he's going to go into that now and describe this. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. And that's his funny way of saying there are pots that you go to the bathroom in beside your bed, and then there's a cup that you drink water out of, and you don't mix those two up. <laughs> the water of purification, do you remember that? This is a great example. The first miracle that Jesus ever did, people are so focused on the wine, they missed the point. They use it as an excuse. Jesus made water into wine, therefore, <laughs> you know, no, 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 no. You missed the point. Those are the water purification vessels. Those are the vessels that people wash their hands in. There's six clay pots of water that people would purify or wash themselves with. And he took those vessels of dishonor and he made the best wine out of it. To when they passed it out to everybody, which you get hung up on the wine issue and you forget the point, he cleansed these vessels and turned them into something they should have never been but are. At the touch of Christ, they become the best wine that's ever been offered at any celebration, at any wedding. It's a beautiful moment. We're the earthen vessels. We're nothing but dishonorable vessels. But when Christ touches us, we are changed miraculously, not by our own doing, but by his hand, by his touch. And we get turned into the best, most luscious, most flavorful, amazing wine that anybody's ever been in contact with. In other words, you become a creepy person, or from a creepy person to a great person. I was a creepy person. I had someone contact me from Facebook from 30 years ago, high school. Followed this girl around like a puppy dog in fifth grade embarrassed her. It was Valentine's Day. You know how you make your sacks and you put them out there for Valentine cards to put in there and you just pray to God someone made, someone's mother made them, you got to buy one for everybody so you weren't there with no bag or nothing in there, you know, empty. And this girl was in, a, we had two fourth grade classes. We were all split up. We were big high school, or big school. And, and so her, she was in the other class, but boy, she was the new girl. Oh man, I mean, man. And so I, my mom, I told my mom, she took me to Hallmark and I didn't, I got the Valentine's I'm supposed to. And I said, I want to get my teacher this heart shaped box of candy, a little one about this big. It's in a bag, you know? Oh, well, that's sweet. You're going to buy that for your teacher. It was not for the teacher. <laughs> we had different recesses. So when they went out on recesses, I told my teacher that I had to go to the bathroom, got out of my class, went into their class while no one was there and put this heart shaped box of candy into this girl's bag. Boom. I thought I had her, man. And so afterward, I put my name on it. You know, so all day long, I'm like, you're wondering what's going on in the other room, kind of thing. 
And afterwards, she came up to me. You know how girls grow bigger than guys? She was like a foot taller than I was, you know? She, I'm looking up at her, and I'm like, this is it, you know? I was so embarrassed. My bag was heavier than everybody else's. My teacher, oh, this is so heavy. She made me dump it out in front of everybody. I had to hold up, and everybody made fun of me because I got this kid. I'm like, oh, just totally blew up in my face. So she contacts me today on Facebook, 30 years later. Oh, aren't you? I was just... Uh, delete. No, I didn't. I, said, <laughs> I was nice, and I said hi, and oh, that's great. I'm glad your family's great and everything else. Yeah, whatever. Go away. I was a creepy... And that wasn't a creepy thing. It was pretty sweet and awesome on my part, but I was a creepy guy all through high school. And I, I start, so what my thought is, I start remembering all these people in high school that are going to start contacting me now because now I'm friends with this person who's still friends with everybody in high school, and I kind of left that in the rearview mirror, to be honest with you. It was like... Out of sight, out of mind. And all of a sudden now I'm on her, oh, I know all these people. And I know what kind of person I was to most of the people in high school was not a great guy at all. And I thought about that today as I'm getting ready for this teaching. Isn't that interesting how God does these things? How much of a vessel of dishonor I was for 20 years of my life. Just a vessel of dishonor. And now I'm the sweetest wine you guys have ever had. So... <laughs> Therefore, he says in verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself, circle that. Yes, Christ touches us, but it's up to us to let him touch us. If, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That's a choice. It also goes against that Romans, that pesky Romans verse that people like to use. You know, I'm trying not to hit on that too much, but some vessels are made for honor, some are for dishonor. There's nothing you can do about it, verse, you know, that people use about being chosen or not chosen. Well, here we have the answer for that. Apparently, the vessels that aren't chosen, the vessels that are dishonor, can be cleansed. They'll be turned into vessels of honor, regardless. So we can be changed. Flee also youthful lusts. In other words, the things I did as a youth, I'm supposed to flee those things and leave those things behind. That's why I don't go to my reunions. They're still snapping towels in the locker room. They're still doing kegs and eggs. Really? You know what it looks like to see 45-year-olds to 50-year-olds doing kegs and eggs? Grow up. You know? I mean, have we got, got snap, <laughs> you know, move on with life. Grow up. And I just, it's just so, flee those youthful lusts. Put that stuff behind you. Grow up. Grow into Christ. Be... But pursue, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Of all the things he's told us not to do, all the things he's told Timothy not to do, here's what I want you to do. Here's all you got to do. Pursue righteousness. Strive for that in your life. Be faith, full of faith. Pursue faith. Trusting God more and more with your life. Pursue love. Being a more loving person. You know, loving people. Pursue peace. I don't think of, I don't use that word too much. I don't focus on peace too much because I think it's been co-opted by a lot of groups in the 60s and everything. Peace, peace, peace. And we get the wrong idea. We got the symbol and everything and flowers and peace being the absence of conflict. And it is that. But he wants him to pursue peace. I want, I, I want to come with the gospel to somebody not to win or to fight, but so that by the end of this, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that has to come from Peace. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here to give you an answer. I'm here to give you a reason to live. I'm here to change that, what I know you're covering up in your mind and in your life and nobody else can see that mask that you have on. I'm here to carefully let you know that you can take that mask off with me and I'll talk to you really about eternity and about God and about life and about why we live and breathe. You come with peace, you know. Pursue that. Those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, with those who call on the Lord, in other words, have those people around you also. Don't reject sinners and keep away from sinners. That's a mistake. But when you're pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, do that also with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid, again, he goes back to it, foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. And you can tell when the conversation is moving from that peaceful, grace-filled, hopefully eye-opening moment with this person, it turns into a fight. It's like, look, 
I'm not here to fight with you. I'm not here to, I don't want to battle you. Honestly, if you're six foot six and 350 pounds of lean, mean muscle, you don't look at the peewee and say, you know, okay, you asked for it. Those, those big guys get to walk away from a lot of fights without any pride hurt. They can walk away and say, look, I don't, okay, you're punching me now. All right, well, whatever makes you feel better. I didn't hear, come here to fight. I'm gonna, I didn't mean to make you mad. I'm gonna leave. I don't wanna make you mad. I'm walking away. We need to be like that as Christians. We have the answer. We have the solution. We know where we're going. We're set. I'm going to heaven. I have the answer. I have peace in my heart. I am solid. I am saved. I know that. And this person isn't. When I feel that coming from them, I don't want to be like, oh yeah? Well, I want you to know that I'm right. I don't care if you get saved or not anymore. Now I want you to know that I'm right. And we turn into a war with them. And that just shows that we're insecure about our salvation. We're not sure that we're saved. No, avoid those foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. The gospel, it will generate strife. We just don't want to egg it on. In other words, look, you know, if you want to be a Pharisee, be a Pharisee. It's up to you. Move on. Um, I'm not here to argue with you about it and generate that to the ruin of the hearers, to those around, you know. There's a, there's, he says the fields are ripe for a harvest for a reason. I, I'm not going to waste my time with with those that don't want to be saved. I'm, I'm going to find those that are ready, you know? And it could have been first contact too. And so they got mad. And so you back off and maybe you can come back again, but keep that open, you know? You might be able to come back and share the gospel with them again when they're more, you know, um, receptive to it. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance, it's just what we said. In other words, the whole point of this is that they might get saved. We want to do this in such a way that they can still receive Christ even after this conversation is over and they haven't, you know. I'm not here to make their decision firm. I'm not here to harden their hearts. I'm here to see if this is an opportunity. I think it is. Share the gospel with them. Oh, no, no, it's not ready yet. Okay, hey, I was just sharing you with what God put on my heart, you know. Um, but you want to be that way. Um, able to teach. Teaching's not easy. Teaching is so that the student knows and understands it. It's not so that they can pass a test, which is kind of, it's a whole different subject altogether. Our job of teaching is so that the knowledge gets passed from your brain and that textbook into their brain to the point where they can understand it and do it on their own. That's a teacher. A teacher has to figure that out. They can't be mad. You got 30 students. Some of them are getting it. Some of them aren't. You got to switch gears. You guys got it? Great. Okay, you guys come over here. We're going to try something new because I want to get this into your minds and into your hearts. I want you to understand this. And so you got to try another. And then, you, and then you got Timmy. And Timmy's just, I mean, he just ain't getting it. You got 29 that got it and Timmy ain't getting it. You don't throw Timmy out. As a teacher, you say, how can I get this to Timmy? Beating him isn't working. You know, I've got to find another way. Is he visual? Is he auditory? Is he, is he touchy-feely? Does he have to get his hands on it somehow? You know, and as a teacher, that's the heart of a teacher. When it comes to God's word, you've got to be a teacher. You can't just proclaim and throw it out there. Well, whatever. You don't like it. No, a teacher, he says to Timothy, find those guys that can teach God's word, that understand that not everybody receives the same way. Patient. It takes time. You've got to till up that soil. It takes time. Years for people to sometimes get the same thing. You've taught it every single Sunday for three years, and you're still waiting for them to figure it out, you know? It takes time in humility, correcting those. Can't correct them in arrogance or in pride. You've got to correct people in humility, those who are in opposition. And here's why. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And that is the most important part right there, to know what you're up against. You're not up against a person you're up against a person who's been ensnared by Satan and you're there to break them out of jail. That's the point. We can pick a lock, we can dig a tunnel, we can do whatever, but the idea is to get them out of this snare. And believe me, if you've ever seen an animal in a real snare, they panic and they're angry and they don't want anything to touch them and they don't want anybody doing anything to them because they're trying to get out of this on their own and it's almost impossible to get this animal to settle down so you can get this snare off because the harder they pull, the tighter the noose. That's the idea. So how do you do this? You gotta be patient, you gotta be quiet. 
You know? And when we talk to people about Jesus, that's what Paul's saying. Find guys that can do that. You know? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, encouraging us in it, um, correcting us in it. Um, but also, um, hopefully we've learned something tonight. As you're an excellent teacher. Um, you did it through all sorts of ways today for me. As I'm preparing for this teaching tonight, you brought real life things, and you know I've got to have hands on. That helps me think, and that helps me to figure things out. You, put, you made it real to me today, and that helps. And I thank you for that. And for each one of us tonight, we all learn differently. Um, help us to get it now from our heads to our hearts. If it isn't got there yet, help it to get there. We want it in our hearts, Lord. So, help us to be teachable. Help us to be faithful. That's all you asked. Faithful men and faithful women, I might add. Um, but ready to, ready to serve you, God. Entrust these things to us, Lord. And help us to take those warnings that you told Timothy to tell these guys. Tell, take them to heart. To don't get into the foolish, idle babbling that's going to ruin the hearers. That's going to move us away from our faith and going to thwart other people away from theirs. Move them away from it, God. We don't want that. Um, so Lord, help us tonight. We thank you for your word. and It's truth and it's, it's uh, very penetrating. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you.